Welcome to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour. Uh, We are recording this episode on Thursday, um, August 5th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, August 8th, 2021. My name is Reese Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Jasmine Smith and Emily Scott. How's it going today, ladies? Not bad, not bad. Hanging in there. Yeah, same. Yeah. All right. Chugging along, just <laughs> taking it one day at a time. The news is changing rapidly. Um, yeah. Every day it feels like uh, in significant ways. So one day at a time. That's all you can do, man. Otherwise, you'll be left in yesterday. <laughs> all right. So on this week's episode, we will be talking about uh, Mexico suing U.S. gun manufacturers, the push in NYC to clear homeless encampments, Representative Cori Bush's activism at the Capitol protesting the end of the eviction moratorium and some good news about an incentive program in Denver. Let's go ahead and kick off our today today's episode with our local news story. Uh, Emily, you're up. All righty. So basically every local headline I've been seeing this week has been about Cuomo and the criminal investigation and whether he'll resign or be impeached. And I'm actively choosing not to cover it because I feel like it's very saturated. Um, and there's other stories that also need attention. So I will focus on be focusing on one of those stories instead. Um, and like this story, uh, which comes from an August 2nd New York Times article by Andy Newman and Nicole Hong titled, New York is pushing homeless people off the streets. Where will they go? Cleanup crews are clearing encampments, but advocates say the sweeps just move people from one place to another and fail to address the housing crisis. The article explains, quote, as the country's most populous city strives to lure back tourists and office workers, it has undertaken an aggressive campaign to push homeless people off the streets of Manhattan. City workers used used to tear down one or two encampments a day. Now they sometimes clear dozens. Since late May, teams that include sanitation workers and garbage trucks, police officers, and outreach workers have cruised Manhattan around the clock, hitting the same spots over and over. The sweeps are part of a broader effort by Mayor Bill de Blasio that includes transferring over 8,000 people from hotels where they had been placed to stem the spread of coronavirus to barrack-style group shelters. The transfers are continuing despite the recent surge in the Delta variant of the virus, though the city told a judge it would delay the moves Monday to address concerns that it was not adequately considering people's health problems and disabilities. Quote, on Wednesday, Governor Andrew M. Cuomo, whose administration has slashed aid for addressing homelessness, cited the problem as one of the main hurdles to the city's recovery. We don't uh, we have to get homelessness under control, he said. And the irony seems to have been lost on him that he cut the budget for that. Um, Over 2,000 people live on the streets in New York City, and it's not the only city taking punitive measures to try and curb homelessness. For example, quote, on Wednesday, the Los Angeles City Council outlawed camping near parks, libraries, and schools. Quote, the city's uh, New York, and this is back in New York now, quote, the city's Department of Homeless Services says it resorts to cleanups only in the case of service-resistant individuals, and is committed to helping people find homes. Quote, but the city's ability to offer people such housing is limited and the process is slow. And advocates for homeless people and some city employees say the sweeps accomplish little more than chasing people from one spot to another, upending already precarious lives and, by blurring outreach and enforcement, discouraging people from accepting help. 
They're trying to make life so miserable on the streets that people will come into shelters. But that is a cruel and ineffective approach, said Josh Dean, the founder of Human.NYC, a policy group focused on street homelessness. People need to trust outreach workers, and this approach is destroying trust. Quote, the cleanups also defy Centers for Disease Control and Prevention COVID-19 recommendations against displacing people who live outdoors unless they are being moved to individual housing. COVID-19 has killed over 120 homeless people in the city and has infected more than 4,100, officials say. According to a statement from the Homeless Services Department, the cleanup crews do not throw away people's belongings. Rather, they carefully assess a site while noting the number and type of possessions, uh, remove items to protect valuable property and quality of life for the client, and provide details about how they can obtain the property. Um, Those are all in quotation marks. Um, Quote, Max Gorin, who lives in Thompson Square Park in the East Village, has found reality to be a bit different. At least once a week, a sanitation sanitation truck rolls up, Mr. Gorin, 34, said in July. If you're not there to say, hey, that's mine, everything goes in the back. He said his possessions had been trashed three times, each time because he left them to go to a methadone clinic. Do I want to risk losing all of my clothes and all of my bedding, or do I miss my clinic appointment, he said. Quote, in Times Square, the city's tourist center, a business group is testing a very different approach. There, teams of people, some of whom were previously homeless or incarcerated, hand out t-shirts, socks, granola bars, and water, hoping to build trust and gradually connect homeless people to social services. They only offer services if people ask. The idea for the program, which recently won a $350,000 city grant, originated with Tom Harris, a retired police officer and the president of the Times Square Alliance, a nonprofit that promotes businesses in the area. Quote, Mr. Harris was determined not to rely on the police. His view was informed by decades as an officer in Brooklyn, where he found that the most effective way to stop someone from committing robberies, for example, was to address underlying problems like addiction. Working with the Midtown Community Court, which provides alternatives to jail for those accused of low-level crimes, Mr. Harris helped create Community First, a program that can refer people to nonprofits that offer housing or rehabilitation for people with mental illness. After meeting with 136 homeless people, Community First teams found a stunning array of systemic problems. Some people had been released from jail without IDs or stable housing. Many struggled with substance abuse. We're not going to tear down your home that you built out of boxes, said Lauren Curatolo, the Community Court's uh, project director. We want to support you so that you eventually want to have a bed in a space. Quote, people who are homeless and their advocates say that what they want mainly is something that is in short supply, a place to live with a modicum of privacy. The best that outreach workers can typically offer is a berth in a group shelter where 10 to 20 people often share a bedroom. Since early 2020, the city, system, city shelter system has added more than 1,300 beds in single or double occupancy rooms that have drawn people in off the streets. But thousands more units are needed, the Coalition for the Homeless said. Also, quote, as recently as a year ago, after the Black Lives Matter protests, the city moved to reduce officers' interactions with homeless people, disbanding the police department's homeless outreach unit. It is done an about-face in response to public outcry. Uh, NYC has been, quote, responding to months of complaints about homeless people blocking and befouling public spaces, menacing passersby, and committing random assaults. Um, Those are quotes from the people who are complaining. And not for me. Um, Yeah, so this is a huge issue. It's been an issue 
for a very long time, we've talked about homelessness in New York on the show uh, before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Um, you know, I think this article did a great job addressing a bunch of the issues um, as well as the solutions um, that are that exist if, you know, if only there was the will to do it. Um, I think I think we talked about this on the show, but homelessness is a man-made like creation, right? Like there's enough space. There's enough empty spaces in New York city. I would say, especially right now where everyone could have their own room somewhere. Right. But, um, do a lot of capitalism, a lot of capitalist issues and quote market rates and things like that. Um, you know, these people are just left on or you know, without a safe place for them to be. Um, and I think as well, like the shelter system is extremely flawed. I think they talk about it here. You know, like I wouldn't feel safe in a, you know, sleeping in a space with 10 to 20 people. I don't know. Um, who also, you know, have, are also dealing with a rate a wide array of systemic problems. Um, and you know, there it's, and I, I don't have statistics on this, but I've read, you know, it's, it's expensive to run the shelter system. And some might argue that it would be, you know, not much more expensive to have housing programs that actually actively find individuals, um, their own apartment or their own, you know, three bed apartment to share, you know, there, there's solutions out there. Um, there's just not the will really, it feels like to, to make it happen. What do you guys think? There's so much, especially with um, businesses shutting down. Like I just found out that the formerly iconic West 4th Street McDonald's is shut down permanently. It's like there's so many, wow, so many pieces of commercial real estate that just, you know, because I don't get out much these days, but having lived in New York for a long time, places that I never thought would shut down or I'm just so used to them, a lot of them are boarded up, they're empty. And it's like, there's so much space that could just be taken over and used to make sure everyone has a safe, clean place just to be. And like you're saying, it's a political decision for that not to happen. It's like, let's pay however much money it costs to have people roaming around, shuffling people around, you know, bullying them or like taking their things or running a shelter system that, as you mentioned, is, you know, has its own problems, especially with COVID being, you know, on top of a bunch of other people when there's a highly infectious respiratory illness around, you're probably safer being out in the open air than indoors in a shelter with 10, 20 other people you don't know. So, yeah, it's just, and especially with the eviction moratorium in New York set to expire, I believe, at the end of this month, like how many more people are going to be in a position where they might become homeless or be new to the ranks of being, you know, unhoused because of that? Yeah, I agree. Um, I was just going to say that, you know, I don't know if if any of you have ever had to deal with the shelter system, but just in some of my work, I have to refer people there who are, you know, following bad times and things like that. But it the the way that they work in this time is unlike any other time before. Uh, people who were there, you know, after you stay in the system and you get registered, depending on which place you go to, after a couple of days, they'll give you like a two week stay or three weeks stay, and then hopefully transition you into something else. Well, those are not even being offered anymore. And it's kind of a, you know, you show up before three o'clock, hope you get a bed and then 
there's no guarantee how long you will stay there. Um, and there's been an increase of people with children um, in this situation, obviously being the priority to get them off the street. So this is really sad. Um, and there, the, you know, there's so many places and pockets of the city where people have decided to just kind of band together. You know, not all of them are the same, but when you're out there on the street like that, you know, it definitely helps to have at least another person there or, you know, I can only imagine what it's like to just be alone. So you would gather with others that are in your situation. And it seems like instead of trying to actually address this, people are being victimized and, and turned into um, people that they are not being stereotyped and, and made to feel as if they don't belong here. When the reality, even if you got a job, the rent is too damn high and you could be out on the streets in no time. Oh, exactly. Exactly. A lot of people, they're one or two bad months away or a couple weeks away from something going left. And then, you know, unless you're very lucky and you have a support system, it could be you out there or like you might today, you might be healthy or whatever and everything's good. Tomorrow, something might happen to you that drastically changes your life circumstances and you would still deserve a safe, clean place just to lay your head. But it's, you know, all this focus on like, oh, we have to make things look a certain way for tourists. It's really disgusting. And I don't know if y'all saw the images out of California with like cops on Venice Beach with like assault rifles approaching hmm. homeless people, like houseless people on the beach, making them kneel down. It was so, you know, and it's like, how much is that person's salary? How much do those weapons cost? How much are they making in overtime? Mm -hmm. You could spend a fraction of that and make sure all these people have a place to live. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to do that because the answer to everything is just more like demonizing poor people, brutalizing poor people. And not to be conspiracy minded, but a lot of people are saying, you know, with labor shortages or whatever, that, you know, making these situations where it's a lot easier to get caught up in the criminal justice system just for being poor or something. A lot of people are in jail, like working for pennies, doing like low wage work or whatever that this country depends on to function. So I would not be at all surprised if there's a connection between that and trying to, you know, make the big business of prisons like go even bigger. It's just completely man-made manufactured problem and you know i hope more people open their eyes to that and take action or start taking over some of these empty spaces because it does not have to be this way it is really interesting you mentioned um the amount of empty commercial spaces and and i have some experience with like real estate stuff and like 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 the commercial real estate world is kind of bananas. Like there are so many empty luxury, like real estate storefronts. And that's been happening for years, like pre pandemic. Um, and the reason they stay, you know, you think log logically, Oh, lower the rent. If it's empty, it's too expensive and no one wants to live there. But like they, you know, most of those places have all these investors that, you know, that they need, they're waiting for their return mm -hmm. on their money. And it's, it's like, legally, they just sit on it. Yeah. Legally, like, people stay out of trouble by leaving it empty because if they get less than their return on investment, then it's like this whole issue. And it's just like, what a fucked up situation. Um, and it makes you wonder like, what about eminent domain? Right? Like, you know, people take over, um, like, 
you know, knock down entire swaths of the Bronx to build highways. Like, you know, why can't you, you know, not, again, not to like, you know, th- these laws exist and they're always targeting margin or more often than not target marginalized communities instead of being used to help them. Um, when the, you know, those things exist to fix these problems they're just not being used, you know? Right. And it's like, you know, I think it's clear to people who listen long enough, like how I feel about a lot of these laws in the quote unquote justice system. But, you know, it it says a lot when it's like the same action is either criminalized or it's rewarded depending on who's doing it. You know, if you're the wrong type of person and you're selling some kind of drug, you're locked up. If you're the right kind of person, like in pharmaceuticals or whatever, and you're knowingly getting people hooked on shit, you are making money hand over fist. You know, if you're a poor struggling person and you need help to bail you out when something goes wrong, you're lazy and you're a leech on the system and you deserve to be kicked out. You have, you know, you're some big business owner or whatever, and your shit doesn't work out. You deserve to get hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars just so that you can keep operating. Mm hmm. What's you know, clap- and it's, yeah. it's, it's so, it just, it makes me so angry. And especially, like, I guess Reese is going to talk about the eviction thing later on where it's a big storm coming with these things running out. Yeah. What's classy if you're rich, but trashy if you're poor. It's, there's a long, long list for sure. Absolutely. And definitely for all of us to be on the lookout because you're right, Jasmine, the storm is coming. We're going to go ahead and take our first music break today. I have a nice blend for you. We're going to start off with a throwback jazz track. This is Watermelon Man by Herbie Hancock. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now for the national news story, um, information for this segment was drawn from an article on the Washington Post. The author is Jacqueline Pizer. The title of the article is Cori Bush Slept Outside the Capitol to Protect Evictions. Wind whipped along the steps of the U.S. Capitol on Sunday night and rain patterned, slowly soaking Representative Cori Bush's sleeping bag. She struggled to get warm, a familiar feeling, she said, when two decades earlier, the Missouri Democrat, who then lived in her car, spent sleepless nights shivering as she and her two children, um, as she held her two children in her arms. But this time, Bush chose to brave the elements. For three nights, she slept outside the Capitol, joining activists and fellow Democratic lawmakers, protecting the lapse and the federal eviction moratorium which had protected renters during the pandemic. The move drew national attention, forcing the White House to respond to Bush's demand to temporary, temporarily halt evictions after Congress went on recess without addressing the issue. On Tuesday, Bush's campaign succeeded. The Biden administration announced a 60-day eviction ban for U.S. counties with, quote, substantial and high levels of community transmission, end quote, according to the news release from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. With the virus's Delta variant quickly spreading throughout the United States, renters in about 90% of the country qualify for the new moratorium. Bush wiped away tears as she shared the news and renewed prote- of the pre- renewed protections, which run through October 3rd with activists sitting on the Capitol steps. She said, We just did the work just by loving folks to keep millions of people in their homes. Democrats and civil rights activists are praising Bush for leading the five-day protest. Some noted that by evoking her own experience with housing insecurity, Bush forced fellow lawmakers to understand the realities of eviction. In the days leading up to the CDC's announcement, tensions mounted between the White House and the left-leaning lawmakers who grew angry after the president resisted the extension. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who declined to reconvene the House to address the moratorium moratorium Saturday's expiration, pushed the Biden administration to extend the ban. But the administration resisted the move because it may prove unconstitutional, noting that the original moratorium was barely approved by the Supreme Court in June. Conservative Justice Kavanaugh, who joined the liberal justices in upholding the CDC's emergency order through the end of July, wrote that it wasn't worth it to stop the eviction ban, given it was ending a month later. He added that he believed any further extension would require congressional approval. President Biden noted that despite the likely court challenge, the extension will give the administration time to re to disperse rental assistance. Congress approved a total of $46 billion in emergency funds in December and February to help tenants pay their rent, but the process to give out the money has been painfully slow. Bush, who was elected in 2020 after she gained national attention for her work with the Black Lives Matter organization in Ferguson, began campaigning outside the Capitol on Friday after the House adjourned. She invited Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to join her. Activists and Democrats also gathered on the steps, um, including um, Ayanna Presley, Ms. Omar, and Jimmy Gomez. So as you can see, um, I'm going to stop the story right there. Obviously, she went to bat uh, for so many people. And this is when you see, this is very rare, I like to say that, when you see lawmakers actually doing their job. 
And I say that loosely, but I say that with intention because just because you guys are away at summer session doesn't mean any of these issues stop. Um, this woman obviously stepped in because she knows what it's like, you know, and she was over, she was able to overcome her challenges with her children to even serve the way she is right now. So she definitely is um, someone to just, you know, give her her flowers today, but not just because of that, because she actually is doing the job that we all need her to do. Uh, so many people are going to be affected when this moratorium is over. And I know it seems like everything is going back to normal, but there are so many families who are not able to sustain the lives that they had before or, you know, way back on rent and other bills. And when this thing ends, we're going to see a real shift in society. What do you ladies think? I think it's a perfect pairing with, with the local news story. I love uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> mind meld. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, it's, it's so, I think we're so unused to seeing politicians who care in this way. Um, and not for like big business interests, you know what I mean? Who are like really going to that for people who don't have the ability to, to have a platform for themselves and who need it the most. Um, so yeah, like I mean, it's such important work she's doing and hopefully um, it brings not only it brings action and not just awareness to the importance of this. Yeah, and I just want to say, you know, I know that she has her own history of having dealt with eviction and eviction is really for I personally. Well, you know, maybe when I was a kid, like I don't remember as a child, but being unable to find stable housing because of a blot on your record due to an eviction and being kicked out and having all your stuff on the street is extremely violent. And the system is so hard on you. If that has happened, trying to get back on your feet can feel like it's almost impossible. And I know that she's dealt with that herself. Um, But she's also because she is a representative. She is a politician. She's a known name. And there's so many other people around the country that have been doing stuff like day in and day out that are homeless now or, you know, that are community activists that will go to like their local state house or whatever and force them to not evict people. So, you know, they're also doing a lot of important work in like building local power so people know someone in their neighborhood or like some kind of organization they can go to when they need this type of defense it's just really sad like how dysfunctional the government is that you have to get to the point where someone has to do something like this to bring attention to an issue for it to happen on a wider scale in the country and even then what's happening it seems like it's more like an extension you know so it's like are we we don't know what it's going to be like a couple months from now are they going to have to do this again it, it is really interesting too cuz you know my story was about homelessness and this is about trying to prevent more homelessness you know or like in I think if you break it down to a certain in a certain way like that and I think mm-hmm. um I think it and I think though it's really actually great I, I'm just cycling back and forth a little bit but it's great that these stories are next to each other because it really like just shows how much our society is built to not solve the issue of homelessness because of how look how easy it is to become evicted and how few resources there are out there to help prevent that right and again I don't have the statistics but I've read some stuff about how like 
how much it would benefit society to really actually keep people from, you know, not just like if you stop this in advance, like if you, if you give people, um, like tax breaks or whatever sort of like, um, additional income to help pay their rent, it like benefits society in this huge way. Right. And it's not that much money per person really, but it's like people are real, like are really paycheck to paycheck. As Jasmine said, often in this country, you're, you're two bad months away from losing your home. Right. And we have the money in this society to help prevent that and how it creates, it creates such a cycle of good when that happens. But there's again, again, like Jasmine said, right. Um, giving money, giving billions of dollars to CEOs is cool. And it's not cool to give a couple hundred dollars to individuals who really could really would help people. Um, yeah. I think the saddest part about all of this is that it creates this cycle for children to be a part of and be conditioned to because someone decided that this was not an important issue to talk about before they went on summer vacation. Not to say that politicians don't need time off or things of that nature, but I think it's so frivolous that you would just in session and not bring any, any sort of uh, energy to this um, knowing that it would be done by the time that you came back. That's another, that's another statement there. But growing up, you know, I have family members that have been through things like this and it's really scary when you're a child, when you have no idea even how you got in this situation, what you're going to do next. And also for those mothers and fathers that are, you know, trying to just keep their kids off the street, out of the heat or out of the cold, you know, it's, it's a really scary thing when you feel like you failed your family and you have to come up with some strength somewhere to get out of a bad situation. So, um, you know, I said all that to say, um, I'm happy to share a story about a politician that actually is doing the work that we need, uh, actually trying to help people that she can relate to. And I think a lot of times politicians can't relate to the constituents just flat out. Um, and that sometimes drives their interest or their non-interest and things like this that really matter for an abundant amount of people. So, um, I hate that she had to do that literally sleep in the rain on the steps to protest, but I'm so glad that she did. That's the real work and shout out to her and all the other activists who have uh, been driving this conversation and making these extensions happen. There are people who desperately need uh, solutions and alternatives for this problem. So. Yeah. And I just, um, if you haven't read it, there's a very well, It's sad, but I learned a lot from reading this book called Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. And the author really breaks down the way that there's money in like being a slumlord and keeping like a certain class of people in this never ending crunch of being evicted and supplying like low value housing to poor people. And by low value, I mean like people buying up a lot of properties, not keeping them in good condition. But because you have this class of people that is struggling and is desperate for a place to be, they get away with being a slumlord in that way. So check out your local library. I don't know if it's available for free online, but it's an excellent book, Evicted by Matthew Desmond. And in New York City and state, there's housing justice for all. Like they're a local group that um, is about, you know, trying to make some permanent change as far as, you know, housing being a human right and preventing people from becoming homeless. All right. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for um, the additional information. 
Uh, we're going to go ahead and keep the show moving and go to our next music break. This track is called Daughter of the Sun and it's by Naomi Sharon. We'll be right back. She blossoms, she rides the sun, moments common from the age of the You can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. 
Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Thanks, and here's Teresa. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we will jump into our international news segment. Jasmine, take it away. This information comes from Reuters. Um, It's an article that was written on August the 4th. The title is Mexico Sues U.S. Gunmakers Eyes 10 Billion in Damages. Um, It's primarily written by Dave Graham and Laura Goddess Diner. Uh, So this is from Mexico City. Mexico sued several gunmakers in a U.S. federal court on Wednesday accusing them of reckless business practices that supply what it called a torrent of illegal arms to violent Mexican drug cartels, leading to thousands of deaths. The lawsuit alleges that units of Smith & Wesson, Barrett Firearms, Colts Manufacturing Company, Glock Incorporated, Sturm, Ruger & Company, and others knew their business practices had encouraged illegal arms trafficking in Mexico. The lawsuit cites weapons that had entered Mexico used in notorious shootings, noting that Colt's 38 caliber Emiliano Zapata 1911 pistol is engraved with the image of the Mexican revolutionary and is a status symbol coveted by drug cartels. What's the objective? That the companies in question compensate Mexico's government for the damage caused by their negligent practices. Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebrard said at a news conference about the lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Massachusetts. The lawsuit is one of the boldest steps ever taken by Mexico to pressure the U.S. arms industry, which Mexican leaders have for years blamed for fueling gang violence. Companies needed to put an immediate stop to harmful practices, Ebrard said, noting that the court would decide what damages should be paid. He spoke after Mexican officials told reporters the lawsuit sought an estimated $10 billion. The companies did not immediately respond for requests for comment. The National Shooting Sports Foundation, or the NSSF, said it rejected Mexico's claims that U.S. manufacturers were negligent in their business practices. The Mexican government is responsible for the rampant crime and corruption within their own borders, Lawrence G. Keene, NSSF senior vice president, said in a statement. He said cartels use guns taken illegally to Mexico or stolen from Mexican military and law enforcement. Mexico accused the companies of helping to flout its strict gun laws by marketing to the criminals to the by marketing to the country's criminal underworld and thereby actively facilitating the unlawful trafficking of their guns to drug cartels. Mexican officials said they had spent two years analyzing legal precedents over negligence by U.S. arms makers. They pointed to cases including a recent offer by Remington Arms Company to pay nearly $33 million to families to settle lawsuits claiming that its marketing of firearms contributed to the 2020 to the 2012 Sandy Hook school massacre in Connecticut where 26 people died claims of improper marketing have been used in other lawsuits as an exception to US law that provides legal immunity to the gun industry and could be pushing companies to become more transparent in explaining their operations 
There are efforts that seem to be making some headway to make the gun industry and manufacturers in particular divulge records about how they think about marketing, distribution, and sales practices, said Timothy Litton, a professor at the Georgia State University College of Law. Mexico's lawsuit said over 500,000 guns are trafficked annually from the United States into Mexico, of which more than 68% of them, or over 340,000, are made by the firms in question. Mexico has suffered record high homicide rates in recent years. The weapons trafficked to Mexico were responsible for at least 17,000 murders during 2019 alone, a Mexican official said. Another official estimated the damage to the economy caused by the violence at around 1.7% of GDP or gross domestic product. Mexican officials said they expected the case to take a long time to resolve, but were confident of success, noting that it was brought in the United States to ensure impartiality. One Mexican official said the lawsuit was filed in Massachusetts because some of the companies were based there. Mexican officials said the lawsuit was not aimed at the U.S. government, and Abrard said he believed the Biden administration was willing to work with Mexico to stem arms trafficking. Ebrard, viewed as a leading contender for Mexico's 2024 presidential elections, has repeatedly raised concerns about U.S. gun trafficking and lax gun controls. The announcement of the lawsuit came a day after Ebrard traveled to El Paso, Texas, to commemorate the second anniversary of the killing of 22 people at a Walmart, where the shooter was accused of deliberately targeting Mexicans. So that was uh, reported by Dave Graham in Mexico City. Uh, the article was also worked on by Jonathan Stemple in New York, Tom Howells in Delaware, Frank Jack Daniel in Hitchin in England. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it was written by Laura Gaddesdiner in Monterey. Yeah, take the companies down, man. Like I gun know, manufacturers, right? <laughs> like go fuck yourself. Like uh, have caused so much harm and damage in this country worldwide with, with, and are just perpetuating so many horrible myths about, you know, safety and well being and protection when people are like literally dying all the time from the product they make. Yeah. Those numbers were frightening um, that the number of deaths that they had from these gun manufacturers. And I think it's very interesting that Mexico is taking it across the border. Like, no, this is a problem that you are causing and it needs to be brought to light. Um, you know, that you are definitely at the, at the head of this issue. Yeah. Cause the guns are coming from somewhere, man, especially right. if, you know, I, I understand that anywhere you have people, there will be corruption. So that exists here. It exists in Mexico. Like I'm sure there's things happening you know, across the border that are not on the up and up, but it's like, it, it reminds me almost like um, with cigarette campaigns, like how it used to be acceptable to market certain types of flavors or like advertise in a way, and then like particularly in certain communities that would then bear like an excessive brunt of the health effects of being addicted to smoking, you know? And it's like, you cannot have that be part of, your business model because you know it's going to drive profits up and then act like you have no hand 
in the death and sickness and destruction that comes from it. It doesn't work like that. So, you know, for them to be like, well, it's not our responsibility. It's like, well, you know who your customers are. Like you're aware your product is being bought up, you know, by people who are using it for these ends. Where does your responsibility begin? That's a really good point, you know, and we need to, you know, that's, that's a really bold move. Um, not a lot of people try to bring anybody from the United States up on charges that are outside of the United States. But I really hope that this gets somewhere because this is a conversation that needs to be had. You know, everybody, I feel like in this country, a lot of times the conversation about guns are about, you know, our right to bear arms and our protection and all this, you know, which is important. I'm not saying that it's not, but in the same context, like that should never overshadow the real elephant in the room that as many guns that are out there, one, who's putting them out there? And two, they're in the wrong hands. They're in the wrong hands of people who, um, you know, kill others for dumb reasons and, you, you know, these cops and everyone else. But nonetheless, that's not what we're talking about here. I think that this is a good move um, on Mexico's behalf to acknowledge that this is an issue. And I really hope that they actually get some traction and get some attention to it. Do you know who's like arbitrating that lawsuit? Because I don't know yeah. how like international lawsuits work. Like, is this just for show or is there it's actually not an easy thing I was, to do? I was, I was just going to say it's like because I get the impression, especially because the person that seems to be the face of it has political ambitions. I'm not sure how much of it is. I don't know how, like, say, the average Mexican person feels about it or if they think it's really going to do something. So no, I'm not sure who specific. I know they decided to do it in Massachusetts because that's where a lot of these gun manufacturers are headquartered. Um, but I don't know like exactly how it would work or how much of it is almost like symbolic versus actually making a difference. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just I don't I'm just not personally that knowledgeable about how much it would be or if it's trying to like send a message. Yeah, because um, I, you know, at the end, of, like even if they were to win, it's like I think guns are such a huge business. It's almost like with suing like envi- people for environmental issues and things like that or discrimination, like it sometimes it ends up just being like, OK, like that's my cost of doing business is paying this or whatever. And then they continue doing the same shit they they have been doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that there are international courts, but this doesn't seem to be what they're going yeah, for. Yeah, no, it yeah. doesn't. No. So I don't know. It might yeah. just be like a show type thing. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but we'll mm-hmm. see. 10 billion is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. <laughs> Maybe it would make a dent. I don't know, but like you yeah. can't put a price tag on human life no. like ever. Like there's never going to be mm-hmm. enough money for the lives lost because of this, you know, proliferation of guns everywhere they would definitely need you know whomever this party is that is uh seeking um to sue would definitely need the support of another uh international entity another nation state to push this forward because the only way it would work if it's if it had support from multiple country leaderships where it would you know have an effect um, in a roundtable discussion, either, you know, a NATO conference or one of the, you know, UN conferences where they discuss these things, but they won't really get too far, far as actual cr- uh, international criminal court charges if it's just one country against the, you know, big conglomerate um, that takes over everything. But I definitely think that there is power 
in the conversation. There's power in just bringing the issue to light because a lot of times smaller countries want to bring uh, larger countries to bat for things that they do. And they just don't, you know, have the resources to make the, the argument loud enough or to overcome the airwaves, you know, and be able to infiltrate uh, the media. So I think this is a definitely a good move. And even if it is just a conversation starter, hopefully other countries will do the same, at least the ones that border the United States, for sure. That's a good point. Like, I really like maybe this will be the first in a number of, you know, other communities, like other countries banding yeah. together. Because that can make a difference. Like if one, you know, you got one government being like, look, we're tired of you. You're going to demonize people that are trying to come here to flee the violence. But you're one of the biggest culprits that's making the violence possible on this scale. And we're sick of it. So maybe enough, you know, this will be the first domino. And there'll be like some more mass action against these companies. Because if they didn't exist, then this violence wouldn't exist. Like simple yeah i agree definitely a good story to watch as well thank you so much for bringing that one um and finally emily what's the good news of the day all right so this one doesn't like really i maybe not good enough for the amount of bad shit we talked about on this episode and it's also i think um i think it's a good news story but i also think it's a conversation starter too it's i don't i think there's layers to it um, which we may or may not get into, but um, it, anyway, I digress. Um, this comes from a July 31st Good News Network article titled, Instead of Issuing Tickets for Broken Headlights, Denver Police Are Handing Out Gift Cards to Get Them Fixed. The article explains, quote, A new partnership with police in Colorado is putting smiles on the faces of motorists who might not have the money to fix a broken part on their vehicle. An advanced auto parts store has gifted the Denver Police Department with 100 gift cards worth $25 each to hand out to drivers who are normally pulled over by cops and given a warning or ticket to pay a fine. Now when they pull over a motorist for, say, a bad headlight or a defective taillight, they'll have the option to give a $25 gift card to help the motorist get it fixed and get them back on the road and stay safe, a representative of advanced auto parts explained. Denver Police Chief Paul Pais, uh, Pazin Pazin um, said po- officer, says officers have already issued the cards and are enjoying the smiles it puts on drivers' faces. Advanced Auto Parts donation not only helps us get greater compliance with the motoring public, but it also helps us build and strengthen relationships with our community. Um, I think I think the article is a little bit like saccharine with like all the all the smiling motorists. But um, but that being said, I also want to note that I'm not trying to. I'm not choosing to showcase this as some sort of example of how like, oh, policing in this country can be fixed. And, you know, like it's not really what I'm hoping. I think the good out of this is I think um, while it's a small scale sort of like example that um, I don't it doesn't really seem like there's a plan to scale it up. I really think it's a wonderful example of how communities can rethink our legal system. And when we're envisioning like a better and a healthier future society, you know, no one drives around with a busted taillight on purpose. And if the larger goal of laws against that and fine, you know, laws that involve fining people um, is to increase safety on the roads, then, you know, taking that little step of here's that, you know, here's the funds to do that as opposed to penalizing someone, um, making them pay double, for example, um, really would lead to increased safety if that's the goal. So I thought it was an interesting story to highlight and, you know, hopefully it might be a model for more 
programs and rethinking things like that um, nationwide. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. If the problem is that it's unsafe to drive with the taillight, it makes sense to fix the core problem mm-hmm. yeah. instead of, you know, putting some, setting somebody back. Cause you know, tickets, there's been people in the news recently, like young black people who are dead because of a broken taillight or, you know, something not working profit properly in a traffic stop that escalates. And that's also why I wanted to note too, like, I know that um, this story is particularly trying to, you know, the police can choose to give these gift cards. Right. And I think, um, that leaves open a lot of room for like abuse. And, you know, as we've talked about, right, like people getting pulled over for dumb things and larger issues happen. But I think if we're, if we're thinking about like, like even at a, like a bigger scale, like rethinking the way we police the, the high, like the roads, right? Like, does this person need to carry a gun to tell you to, you know, fix your taillight, right? Like things like that. Um, just like rethinking like a healthier future for our society. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this whole incentive for good behavior thing is <laughs> it's been uh, running rampant this year with these COVID incentives and all this other shit. It had me thinking like, yo, why didn't it offer incentives when we were growing up? <laughs> no, but seriously, I think that it's always good to have alternatives to um, policing or any sort of law enforcement for dumb reasons. But just in general, you know, because people are more in need of opportunities to do good and do better than they are in opportunities to just get their whole shit fucked up because of a mistake or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I'm all for these, you know, alternative methods of policing or whatever you want to call it. Um, Just, you know, we got to try some things. We got to do some things different and having incentive programs or anything of that nature is definitely a way to, it's not the answer fully to uh, help us, fix some of the problems that we have with police and and community, but it's definitely um, an opportunity for us to see how these things work and um, just find other ways, find other ways to solve problems that happen all the time. So good story and good show ladies. Thank you so much. I think we've made it. I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening to Objection to the Rule. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org, on the Radio Free Brooklyn app, or on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. Um, did either of you catch the verses this week with the locks and dip set? I did not. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, was saying, I saw some of it. I was muted. I didn't realize Okay, I'm only and bringing it up. Was like, really, he showed these young boys how to do it. Jadakiss, right? Breath control, <laughs> stage presence. Like, no, he, really- he was ready. And I just had, I just got to shout out Jada uh, because, listen, he was prepared, you know, and I appreciate that because Versus was a platform that started, you know, during the pandemic. And thank God it came, it gave us something to talk about. It was entertaining and it brought a lot of artists out of their shell. Um, but yo, the way that he handled that, he handled that like a real G. I got to give it to him. And this was like the most New York versus there could have been. I've seen so many memes about people sleeping with their Tims and just like what it means to be a New York rapper. Um, so anyway, I, I've caught half of it, but I was just, I don't know. It was just so much going on. But nonetheless, the last track today is dedicated to Jadakiss because he went in there and showed them how it's done. This is why. Jada Kiss featuring Anthony Hamilton. We'll see you next week. Bye.
It's dead Bye. Bye. Stay safe. Yo, why is Jada kiss as hard as it gets? Why is the industry designed to keep the artists in debt? And why them dudes ain't riding if they party your set? And why they never get it popping but they party to death? Yeah, and why they gon' give you life for a murder? Turn around, only give you eight months for a burner. It's going down. Why they selling niggas CDs for under a dime? And if it's all love, daddy, why you come with your nine? Why my niggas ain't get that cake? Why is a brother up north better than Jordan that ain't get that break? Why you ain't stacking Instead of trying to be fly Why is ratting at an all-time high? Why are you even alive? Why they kill Tupac and Chris? Why at the bar you don't take straight shots Instead of popping Chris? Why them bullets have to hit that door? Why did Kobe have to hit that raw? Why he kiss that whore? Why? and powder why did bush knock down the towers why you around them cowards why leah have to take that flight why my nigga d ain't pull out his ferrari why he take that bike why they gotta open your package and read your mail why they stop letting niggas get degrees in jail why you gotta do 85 percent of your time and why do niggas lie in 85 percent of their rhymes why a nigga always want what he can't have why i can't come through when the pecan jack why they crack have to hit so hard even though it's almost over why niggas can't get no jobs why they come up with the witness protection why they let the terminator win the election come on pay attention why selling the stones what you can sell in the streets why i say the hottest shit but be selling the least why Radio Free Brooklyn is sponsored in part by Pharmagear, offering little or no cost medical braces. For more information is available at 844-598-6639.